0: first, and th- this is another thing that comes from uh, being at work and just being totally mentally on my own all day and having nothing to do but sit there with my thoughts and that's if you were a girl a, a woman if yeah? oh, mm-hmm. you were a woman in the flower of womanhood, would you use tampons or pads? What
1: Um, I'm trying not to think about why you would ask this question and instead get myself into the mood. No, I'm not. I don't. It's not important. It's not important. All that matters is the answer. And I know that in my heart. And so, uh, my answer, um, I'd be a tampon girl.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Same. Same. I think. Good. uh, Yeah. I think. I don't know why, but all guys I've asked this question to, and it's been a few, have said tampon. And I think there's something in the male psyche that uh, leads them that way. That, I, still I can a, follow it, that. It's like a phallus, and you put it inside a, of, of a gene. And, um, yep, yeah,
1: like, that's...
0: Yeah. So, I was
1: trying not to think about that, but also I can't deny that like I was actively trying not to think about that, which yeah. means it was there.
0: Well, now so is everyone listening to this, so they're all. Hey, gang! <laughs> yeah. Hey, everyone! So, yeah, um, d- DM us, uh, email, uh, send us a message on Patreon. Would fellas, what would you use if you were a lady? Um, I think it's important for men to think about this because I think it, it breaks down the 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 barriers that we put up between our respective genders. And, you know, it makes us put ourselves in the shoes of um women in an area for lives we don't often think about. So, yeah, just want uh, the fellas to to raise themselves up to my level by thinking about that all day.
1: Can you think about, can you think about tampies?
0: Yeah, think about them. They got a little plastic applicator, they got a little string.
1: Think They're about, all different shapes. Think about these tampies.
0: Yeah you can get toxic shock syndrome
1: that's a pretty tight long. yeah that's a pretty tight name for a thing to happen to you it's very bad but you yeah. know the, no the that the name is tight
0: the yeah. name is cool yeah like you can tell like, people i got toxic shock, shock shock syndrome
1: it's like necrotizing fasciitis
0: brilliant name for anything
1: yeah which uh fun factoid about necrotizing fasciitis uh most cases it's more common than you think, and most cases are extremely mundane. But sometimes it kills you immediately. Wow. amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It also happened to um uh noted death sentence fave Grant Morrison once. Yep. It did. He and he caused it himself. I'm not gonna victim blame because he says it he, he says that he caused it himself by drawing by it's a whole thing.
2: Yeah.
1: But, you can uh, Google it. It's a it's a well known uh, Morrisonism.
0: It's it's one of his bits, one of his many bits. But
1: uh, <laughs> that classic bit: developing necrotizing fasciitis on purpose.
0: you'd be faceful says. <laughs> me old face. Um, that's not a Glaswegian accent, not even a tiny bit. Um, but so. Yeah, we're going to talk about the book Machines Like Me by Ian McEwan today. God help us all. Um, so the publishers were nice enough to send me a paper copy of it. Um, they were not nice enough to send it to Langdon because that would cost some money to like mail it. So I've read it. Langdon hasn't. I'm incredibly jealous of him and the vast majority of humans that haven't read this book. Um, I
1: also... I want to be clear. We didn't talk about this book at all prior to this. It was a mutual decision that I should be reacting raw as hell.
0: Yeah, this is real podcasting. Okay, we don't no into no preparation, no um, good sound quality. This there's is no, the no, real shit. Okay,
2: there's there's no
1: script. Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck that.
0: Yeah, you you want like. You want that? Go listen to My Favourite Murder. I mean, they admittedly don't have scripts and the sound quality is so-so, but it's not great or anything. But yeah, if you want that, you know, go listen to something on the All Things Comedy Network. Why don't you? Actually, they put out some good stuff. But, um, okay. Ian McEwan's Machines Like Me. Let's start with Ian McEwen himself. So, if you don't know him, you probably know him. He's the granddaddy of, current granddaddy, along with maybe Martin Amos and Salman Rushdie of British literary fiction right now. Uh, him, Amos and Rushdie were collectively termed the Blitcons during the Iraq War because they were formerly kind of leftist, kind of liberal guys who all decided to support the Iraq War because, I don't know, Christopher Hitchens was into it and he was quite persuasive. And gave them cocaine once in the eighties.
1: It's it's worth noting here that the Christopher Hitchens uh, connection is actually like a fairly pivotal one that gets uh, obscured now. But Hitchens was literally until like the late nineties. It, it was a little bit before the Iraq nine uh, eleven, but it it was pretty close to there. Um, was an ardent leftist and wrote for like commie papers and stuff like that. Um, and he was really close with those guys, and they shared a lot of thoughts. And regardless of how um, dweeby and shitheaded he he became later in his life, which he undoubtedly did, he also was um, a hell of a speaker.
0: Hmm. Uh, Brilliant and... writer. An amazing oh, yeah. pro stylist.
1: Um, that I mean, they gradually really... gradually got brain poisoning. Uh, and unfortunately, he was so uh, so persuasive that he, in turn, brain poisoned them. Which uh, is simultaneously uh, virtuous and despicable. I admire it, but also I loathe it.
0: Yeah. He's, so yeah, these guys were all part of a scene. Basically, they all kind of came of age and got famous at kind of the same time. They all got very big and famous, especially Rushdie, who had the whole yeah. thing and that you know Bono talk, talking to him on stage and stuff. And it's but Martin, it's worth Amos it's, is big too.
2: It's
1: worth noting that uh, their peak books are still all three of them are still really fucking great books. Like they really can fucking write. Uh, they um, uh, we'll we'll just get to the other parts, you know, pr- pretty soon. But yeah, it is worth contextualizing that if he were, uh, if Ian McEwan specifically, or this group uh, in general, were just uh dumb neocon hack writers no one would give a shit about them there's plenty of those people like uh, literary fiction as um unfortunately is a relatively apolitical space which means that you're going to be getting a lot of shithead people writing literary novels as well people care about them because inexplicably these really excellent writers wrote really gorgeous lush moving inventive uh works and had decent politics all went collectively insane.
0: Yep. So, and all their work started suffering too.
1: Oh um, God, yeah.
0: Yeah, like Ian McEwan's last book, which was a bestseller, as it points out here, was about a fetus who is who shares McEwan's politics and is really, um, really—I don't want to say the word "triggered," but uh, he's really uppity about uh, campus radicalism which comes up in here as well.
1: The, so. uh, the fetus, we, we mentioned this several times before, but it is insane enough to mention again, has three great fears. And it's a fetus. Keep in mind. It's in a womb. It has three great fears. One is nine 11 and mm-hmm. contingently Muslims, uh, Brown Muslims, Brown people, Muslims, no one cares about Indonesian Muslims. No one ever cares about them. Uh, uh the second one is abortion the fetus is very scared of abortion
0: fair admittedly that's uh, yeah, basically admitted- what's got to be worried about
1: if i were a fetus that would literally be the only thing i'd be worried about that and uh malnutrition i guess um and uh yeah then campus radicalism yeah.
0: he just uh, is so up to about the sjw snowflakes on campuses it's uh, yeah, it that was nutshell came out a few years back, and yeah, it was a it was I think his first and only bestseller. Um, he's probably he has sold a lot of books, but that was like a literal bestseller. Uh, Chesel Beach was his big one. Atonement, Saturday, Amsterdam—they're they all big good books. Um, Atonement got made into a film. Uh, yeah, he's he's a big deal. So let's get into machines like me because uh he <sighs> eats, he's okay so
1: i'm prepping myself
0: yeah prepare your body it, it gets it gets bad in two ways okay the first one is the one that people have kind of been talking about online today so someone uh ben six smith bd6smith on twitter uh put out quotes that a lot of uh, big people like jeff vandermeer and uh, Charles Strauss and people have been... Have kind of And like
1: Enigma and, and, yeah, lots, yeah. Of, lots of people.
0: Yeah. A lot of smart sci-fi writers have been picking up on this, where Ian McEwan says, uh, there could be an opening of a mental space for novelists to explore this future, not in terms of traveling at 10 times the speed of light in anti-gravity boots, but in actually looking at the human dilemmas of being up close to something that you know to be artificial, but which thinks like you. If a machine seems like a human or you can't tell the difference then you jolly well better start thinking about whether it has responsibilities and rights and all the rest okay that was that question (laughs) was addressed in frankenstein
1: i i hate this man i hate him so much we
0: (laughs) like we okay that's literally the
1: first science fiction book ever written yeah well i mean arguably you have lucius the second writing that one in roman era
0: but whatever oh yeah the water spout gets in but we don't count that one but yes the entire genre of science fiction started with this question <laughs> before there's <laughs> even the concept of a computer which incidentally mary shelley's i think daughter-in-law or something yeah. related. um very good family that like they Ad invented Lovelace, anarchism yeah. feminism and computers and science fiction so they basically invented my brain and um <laughs> And also doing drugs and fucking everyone. So it,
1: it is worth noting that uh, Mary Shelley is still probably one of my favorite writers of all time. and Frankenstein, unfortunately, occludes a whole lifetime of fucking great
2: books that she yeah, wrote. Yeah,
0: like um, The Last Man, which is that's like the first one I was going to bring up. Yeah, yeah, it's way more sci-fi than Frankenstein. But um, yeah. So yeah, this is not a. <laughs> A question that hasn't been gone <laughs> over, and it's like, re-
1: literally Kazuo Ishiguro won a Nobel Prize recently writing about this. And,
0: and guess who um, taught Kazuo Ishiguro uh, how to be writer? Um, Ian McEwen. <laughs> it's insane that he doesn't know this. Yeah, Th- this is the most foundational question in all of science fiction. It's been he he references in machines like me Isaac Asimov. <laughs> like he knows who, <laughs> who Isaac like is- Asimov is. is. Yeah, he he mentions i iRobot and the laws of robotics because the the robots in um machines like me obey Asimov's laws. Which you were legally required if to you
1: write sci-fi to 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 mention them.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I don't. Okay, I haven't read iRobot, but forgive me if I'm wrong. About what? This, but aren't I, how so I, have
1: you not read iRobot?
0: The film's better. And um, what
1: the fuck?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Will Smith can make anything interested.
2: You example, Suicide Squad. Are you fucking squad. with me? I,
0: I just haven't read iRobot. I just missed that one. I read No, the I, foundation, no I, I, read, I Well, I read wait, a bunch were... of I okay stuff, well, but well, you know. well, well,
1: Foundation's better. So yeah,
0: so I, I just. haven't read that one particular book just because i think i probably know it by now
1: i mean yeah you you do
0: yes the the film was was perfect and um okay so what's i say so yeah isn't the whole law of robotics thing meant to be kind of ironic it's not supposed to really work it's actually supposed to like generate more problems than it solves
2: uh
1: yes and no um it So it's supposed to be this will make sense to anyone who um, uh, knows about tech uh, and the history of tech and the contemporary history of tech as well with like uh, Elon Musk type figures is um, Asimov wasn't so much a tech optimist or a tech pessimist. He was that unfortunately uh, beautifully nihilistic, like uh, middle ground person where he's like, it's just kind of going to daughter along and do some good things and some inexplicably stupid things. Um, And so the laws of robotics are meant to look like they will work and then to actually work most of the time, but then sometimes to cataclysmically fall apart.
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay. That's semi wires thinking. Good. So, okay. So the plots of machines like me. So Charlie, the... Uh, narrator main character is a thirty something uh, day trader who has previously like been a kind of white collar criminal. Uh, he doesn't really have a job; he never has. He studied anthropology, but never really got into it, which explains why he gets to go on these like long, stem winding things about just anything that possibly comes very slightly close to the plot. Um plot in big quotation marks uh he is in love with his upstairs neighbor miranda and somehow i maybe just skipped over why um charlie is one of the first 26 people to buy a artificial human a a robot that looks and feels and thinks exactly like a human being more or less they're much smarter and more logical than humans but otherwise they you know terminator stuff they sweat they smell they have erections there's a lot of talk about the robot uh, adam's penis and how it works if there's a sack of uh, saline in his left right buttock i believe it is that uh, empties into his penis to make it erect so now you know how that penis works and um yeah Uh, there's, there's a fair bit about how well hung he is and so on um, oh great
1: so we get yeah. to hear about okay that's robot dips that's it. that's that, amazing
0: i wouldn't say it's like way overdone but it's enough to be like okay you can just say he has a penis it's fine and um okay so the <laughs> way
1: does he does he go satisfyingly like way overboard with it no it like, doesn't oh, no. that sucks it,
0: that would have been great I would, yeah i would have much liked to report to to just the whole world, that he just uh, just <laughs> odes to it, just like a whole uh pieces in verse about this robot dick. It's so, like no. a
1: 30 page prose poem that he writes about it, just yeah. in the middle, <laughs> it has a subtitle and everything.
0: Yeah, there is some unfortunately. No, so, does he, list, but, uh, no.
1: does he use the phrase luscious robot cock?
0: No. I don't think – there's very little swearing in this, in fact. I think the word fuck kind of appears once, and I was like, oh, well. Is it like a PG-13 movie where they can say fuck once?
1: To be fair, uh, Ian McEwen, the older that he gets, the less uh, realistic his brain puts words together. Like when he was younger, he didn't shy away from swearing. He didn't super lean into swearing or anything like that, but it felt it would would come up. Yeah. now he's gone an old man where he's like no those words are naughty
0: yeah they just show a lack of vocabulary and um yeah so okay so charlie and miranda fall in love but miranda has a terrible secret and we're going to get to that in a minute because the terrible secret is a thousand times the whole if you take the robot out (sighs) it's a thousand times worse than any of the bits with a robots. Because the, well, the, yeah. the robot well, bit is just that... bad science fiction. The um, All the other parts in the story that don't include robots or any science fictional elements at all are just politically and ethically monstrous in a way you don't tend to find in books that much anymore because there are, like, sensitivity readers and editors who will, like put a kibosh on this kind of stuff before it ends up in print but uh anyway you sorry you were saying it
1: oh oh it is worth noting that literally anything if you take robots out becomes worse than when the robots are in i i'm resolutely a six-year-old and uh if you put it it's like the law of mecca if you put a mecca in something it's objectively better than if it didn't have any mecca in it even if it's shit even with the mecca
0: yeah I, and i was I kind of at two minds when i was reading this about whether the robot even needed to be there at all because he does feel like a plot device <laughs> rather than like an integral part he's not in it that much is, is the thing what? like what <laughs> the robot th- there's like a good chunk about him but generally it's about uh charlie miranda's relationship and her past and uh We'll talk about that in a second, but um... yeah, it,
1: it is worth noting there. There are some like there are several great sci fi books and even just like middling to good sci fi books that invoke things like aliens or robots, but don't really get into them. Don't really address them all that much. Like Philip K. Dick, most of his books will at some point go, oh, yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, we have robots. That's not important. though no, anyway, let's go back over here. And you're like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to get into that. It's not important
0: anyway. Um, hmm.
1: And, you know, it's great. Yeah, everyone it, loves this
0: book yeah and, it uh, works, but
1: uh this doesn't uh, but ian McEwen is uh, worse oh yeah at yeah, science fiction it's, it's easily
0: thousand times worse he is um abysmal at science fiction <laughs> and um another sci-fi trope this takes place in an alternate universe it's, it's of, the, of course it's the 1980s but technology has advanced a lot more because it seems like the the point that um changed in this universe was Alan Turing uh, who's from my hometown um he didn't commit suicide when he did uh in the, that the would, 50s that would
1: that would be great I don't think anyone in the world would yeah. uh except potentially Ian McEwen would <laughs> think that that is bad
0: oh no he um I McEwen's actually quite a big fan of Alan Turing he's um, oh. Alan Turing appears as a, as a speaking character in this he's quite uh, he only appears twice, but each time he's quite integral to the plot. And Ian McEwan seems does think that Ian, that Alan Turing was um, like the victim of a witch hunt and was railroaded. And he he basically has the nice normal idea about Alan Turing, which is that you know he didn't need to die for being gay. You know, so yeah, he, Ian McEwan gets that bit right at least. So. Because Alan Turing is still alive, he solves a bunch of um, mathematical and physics problems that are still unsolved in the real world. Which means that by 1980, people have smartphones and LCD TVs. There's autonomous cars. Uh, it's basically like you know, if, if today's technology was in 1980, and uh, or maybe like uh, the 2030s technology, where there's a bit more AI, there's autonomous cars, and there's now autonomous humans. so he can
1: set a sci-fi book set in his ideal world one in which the generalized politics of the day never advanced beyond 1980
0: oh the politics yeah the politics (laughs) of 1980 that's uh, can
1: feel i can feel where this is going (laughs) it's super obvious what's about to happen
0: so wow so uh so he i think it's set in 1983. So what uh, mccune does is have Britain lose the Falklands War, which is literally the most boring and stupid conflict ever. Um, yeah,
1: it was unnecessarily cruel for no other reason than we want to still own an island that we yeah, that, that does just nothing, had a produces nothing. Base, like, yeah, it's
0: maybe adjacent to some oil fields, but not good ones, and they're half uh, the world away.
1: Uh, any British listeners will obviously know about the Falklands war. It's not exactly underreported in uh, Britain to my knowledge. Um, but for any, uh, American listeners, all you really need to know, two things. One, uh, the Pink Floyd album, the final cut is loosely about the Falklands war, or at least inspired by it. And two, it was basically driven by a Thatcherite desire to reenact British imperialism and remind the world that Britain is still great. Like in a, uh, I hate to say a proto-Trumpian move, but Trump a pro, evokes a
0: proto-Mayian mood, basically. Yeah, uh, well,
1: it, it, yeah, it will evoke for Americans what the whole "Make America Great Again" mm, thing was. So much, Thatcher's yeah. like, "Hey, no, we're still, we're still an imperial kind of," and it was literally just throwing lives away for mm. literally nothing except like, "No, we're still an empire."
0: Yeah, so we're still holding onto this one tiny little sheep herding village by the Antarctic. So McEwen has uh, Britain lose the Falklands War, which causes Margaret Thatcher's government to kind of fall apart. And um, a politician called Tony Benn, who's a real, uh, like, left Labour, kind of a, a proto-Jeremy Corbyn, he uh, rises up. He, and McEwen just transposes Britain's politics in 2019 to 1983 where instead of Theresa May, you have Margaret Thatcher. Instead of Jeremy Corbyn, you have Tony Benn. And he is...
1: That doesn't sound necessarily bad, so I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop.
0: Uh, The other shoe drops multiple times. I've I've bookmarked so many pages (laughs) here. It's um... So for no reason, it has no bearing on the plot whatsoever. Um, There is multiple long like 10-page-at-a-time um, sections that read like this. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the loyal opposition was in good shape. Young baby boomers had fallen in love with Tony Benn. After the, a great push to expand their membership, m- more than three quarters of a million had joined the party. So young baby boomers at this time would be so 20 to 30-year-olds, a.k.a. millennials. And uh, middle-class students and working-class youths merge into one angry constituency, intent on using their votes for the first time. Trade union bosses, tough old operators, found themselves shouted out at meetings by articulate feminists with strange new ideas. Newfangled environmentalists, gay liberationists, Spartacists, situationists, millennial communists, and Black Panthers were also an irritant to the old left. I, I, I don't even know... What? Were there ever what? Spartacists in the UK? Can someone more in tune with the like the weird little subsect left to uh I n didn't, didn't know I don't think I have a Black Panthers. There were there were black civil rights groups in the UK, but weren't the Black yeah. Panthers.
1: Black Panthers were pretty specifically an American group. They had they had reach into other nations, but it was they were they always took a um, and it's even part and parcel of the Black Panther ideology. They took a relatively more uh Maoist take of localism um so they wouldn't even have promoted like a black panther uk it should be a uk driven uh group and in that guise they did reach the uk but it was more that they had contact with people in the uk who had similar views for black folk of the uk but you know, had so their their name
0: in other words you can't just use black panthers as a stand-in for any black person who is on the <sighs> left politically and, uh, which I also can... like
1: uh, the newfangled left. One, the influx of feminist politics or of feminism into left politics began uh, pretty strongly initially in the forties. Um, there were uh, tricklings in the left before then. Um, actually, no. The uh, the I'm only thinking in the West. Like in terms of uh, overall communism and socialism, uh, feminism was always wrapped. Uh, wrapped up in that but so like even marx talks about in the co- uh in the capital um about the unreimbursed domestic labor of uh of women in traditional uh western society as an example of uh coercive labor and things like that
0: yeah um and we should also not fail to point out that a lot of um former uh suffragettes ended up joining the british union of fascists not the, the, the left there was um a weird influx of them into the, uh, mostly fascist party. But, uh, that's a story for another day. So yeah, there's lots well, of talk well, about it, it, purging try- different centrists of the parliamentary labor party. Yeah. It's, it's just complaining about Corbyn and it has no place in this book at all. It's n- nothing to do with the plot. It's nothing to do with anything. It's just this old rich man, uh, complaining that, uh, the youths are a, a bit too mouthy nowadays.
1: It also totally misunderstands even what what labor was historically, even prior to Corbyn. Like he gets blamed sometimes for being like the guy who made it to left, but that isn't historically true at all. If anything, he's like a like a, like decently middlingly left uh, for it's a social the democrat, history,
0: you know. Yeah. nothing that wouldn't be weird would be too far left in Sweden or Norway.
1: Yeah, and that's like what the early Labour Party was. I mean, that's the whole I mean, the whole the, push to generate the NHS was driven by that.
0: Yeah, the Labour Party removed um, achieving full communism from its uh, like aims in like the nineteen nineties. Like before that time, i.e., in the eighties, when this is set, like we will someday achieve full luxury gay space communism was part of their agenda it's you know it's it's not weird for the, the Labour Party to be on the left even in the 80s so yeah it, it's just a guy kicking at Corbyn because he knows his readers who are going to be other angry gannon faced men in their 40s to 60s uh, who are all wealthy uh, also don't like Jeremy Corbyn so he's giving them a, a little tug on the table just to keep their, their spirits up uh, before he talks again about robots or mathematics or this incredibly asinine, boring plot about what we're going to talk about next because it's terrible. But I wanted to play some music first. And apologies to Langdon for not consulting him about music. But um, I picked all the music today. So Oh, that's Ooh. fine. Uh, unless, good unless it's shitty. No, in fact, one of them, I think you talked about this one on Twitter. So unless you talked about another band who also have a similar name, you talked about the band Big Brave, correct?
1: Oh, God, yeah.
0: Yeah. Good. Okay, good. For some weird reason, I thought you were talking about Big Business, who are just like shitty high on fire.
1: No, I I like Big Business a lot, but...
0: uh... No, they're just shitty high high on fire.
1: Well, I mean, to be fair, even if that's true, that still makes them pretty damn good.
0: Oh, okay. Counted.
1: Like, I mean, high on fire. I mean, that's, you know, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know high high on fire. (laughs) Instead, if anyone listens to Spotify, there's a hilarious uh, high on fire Spotify advert that talks about their uh, new app that's like about the new album. It's got some like music on in the background. And this dude who's I, I'm guessing has never heard of heavy metal music, but just had it summarized to him as like, high on fire, their new <laughs> album out <laughs> now. It's just horrible. That sounds but, funny as hell. But uh, yeah, so we've got to play Big Brave. Uh, they're fucking awesome. They hang around with like Sun and they're kind of, yeah, you know, they're on Sun's level. Uh, there's three of them. They're, uh... they're out of Montreal.
1: Yeah, it's um it's somewhere between uh it's a really arty drone doom metal. Uh it's also there's a lot more uh, melodic movement than drone would make it sound like, but there's also less melodic movement than if you were to not call them drone. Hmm. Yeah. Uh also I have a promo copy of their new album. I literally uh, cried to it three times during the first time it played, and then I had to leave my house after I was done. I was like, that was too emotionally intense. I have to go outside now. Damn. Um, yes.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. The new the... one is
1: so fucking good. I assume yeah, you're so... playing the single from it.
0: Uh, sibling? Yeah. Yeah. So this is Sibling by Big Brave. Uh, it's really fucking good. It sounds like all the best bits of a movie happening at once, but way more awesome than that. And yeah, so have yourself a good cry to this. And then we'll be back to talk about the other stuff in um, Machines Like Me, which I'm really hoping is going to get Ian McEwen cancelled. that was big brave with sibling um yeah wipe your tears that was that was tough for all of us but we're here now and we're going to talk about machines like me by Ian McEwan some more because yeah this one um it's a it's a bad one it's it's bad folks you hate to see it you just hate to see it so um okay the the sci-fi in machines like me is bad it's someone who doesn't really like or respect the sci-fi genre like deigning to dip his toe into the the murk of sweaty nerds at sci-fi conventions it's yeah it's someone who doesn't like sci-fi writing sci-fi which is bad and people who really love genres even if they're brilliant literary stylists can and do make incredible genre books i.e uh marlon james yeah so, and he has very little of any interest to say about uh, AI, robotics, any of that stuff. It's nothing you haven't heard a million times. You can... Anything from, like, uh, you know, iRobot and Frankenstein to, I know, the movie Her, or the video game Neo Automata, you'll find better stuff philosophically and morally. And that is because of the other half of the book, which it kind of strikes me as what Ian McEwen wanted to write, but then he didn't have enough plot to put there, so he threw robots at it. And unfortunately, the, the, the law of Mecca does not work here. The robots did not make things better. So, uh, Miranda, Charlie's, uh, girlfriend, has a terrible secret. She, um, before the, uh, book started, she, uh, was in court and uh, accusing a man of having um oh i should like content mourn for sexual assault talking here because um
1: oh jesus christ he's really going to do that he
0: he went yeah he 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 goes there yeah so content warning for sexual that assault stuff um, yeah <laughs> so um here's what yeah so just be aware so what um So Miranda has accused the man of uh, raping her in a um, a situation which was basically she went over to the house and um, drank a little vodka. They ended up sleeping together. Well, she says uh, that he raped her. He he says they slept together consensually. Um, And then uh, it went to court and he was put away in prison for, I think, three years. Uh, So... Uh, when Charlie finds this out, his first thought is, well, he, she could be lying. Uh, he, he loves her. It's, it's a big thing about how much he loves her and how a love triangle they have with Adam, the robot. But uh, his first thought is she could be lying. She could merely have regretted having slept with this guy and then decided to put him in prison for three years. Uh, so... he when he does confront Miranda about what actually happened, it turns out, yes, she was lying. She did lie about being raped. Uh, Which, first, incredibly, incredibly rare to do. It very rarely happens. And an interesting thing to note about uh, false rape allegations is that what counts as one um, isn't just maliciously, Saying that someone sexually assaulted you when they didn't. It also counts if you uh, mistake uh, cases of mistaken identity counts. So if you think it was one person who was actually another, that counts towards a false rape allegation. So even the percentage, the small percentage we do have of that is even smaller if you're thinking about what like men's rights people talk about when they talk about the epidemic of false rape ap- allegations, which again are tiny, they're much smaller than the false allegations of male fraud or murder or any crime you care to mention so miranda uh it turns out didn't do it maliciously as such because miranda had a friend uh i forget the friend's name now her friend was muslim Uh, what what is he gonna do this
2: he's he's
0: gonna go he will go there yep so the man uh, Miranda accused of raping her did actually rape Miranda's Muslim friend. But her Muslim friend couldn't tell anybody because she was worried that her family would honor kill her. Just leaving it there. Just leaving it there. That's She was so worried about her family's shame that this guy had literally grabbed her and dragged her into the bushes in that, again, scenario that very rarely happens in the real world, uh, she was so worried that uh, family shame that she didn't report it, and then she, her she ended up killing herself over the shame. And um, so Miranda takes it upon herself to see justice done by accusing this uh, man of having raped her. And, yeah. So you ask, what does this have to do with robots? Fuck all. Nothing. It has nothing to do with robots at all. Uh, The robot is basically around, like, tidying up while this whole thing is happening. Uh, The robot, like, accesses some government files that helps Charlie confront the woman he loves about her false rape allegation. Um, It's, yeah, it's every right-wing, paranoid, crackpot bullshit about sexual violence and Muslims comes up in about 30 pages of this book there's yeah there's honor killings there's false rape allegations it's it's just like a editorial by brendan brendan O'Neill in uh that's telegraph you're
1: about to say brendan fraser yeah sorry i I,
0: (laughs) not brendan fraser's fine he's a lovely guy
1: i was about to say very underrated actor
0: brendan fraser's (laughs) a good good man
1: Absolutely
0: vicious Yeah, I meant Brendan O'Neill, the <laughs> shitty columnist. But, um, yeah, so it's it's got this, like, incredibly right-wing that is, that, bullshit. That's really the centerpiece of the story. That's really what the story is about.
1: I I was silent for a stretch there more out of disgust than trying to politely, like, talk. <laughs> um, yeah. Because that's just...
0: So fucking wrong. Yeah, that's it's... So... It's like bullshit to base a book around.
1: It's like this is why no one takes. Like to, part of me hates to turn it immediately to a separate political issue, but also my brain can't wrap itself around uh, the issue that he was trying to address. So this is the best I can do. This is part of why no one really takes um, like anti Corbin. Type like, oh yeah, no, I'm labor, but you know, I had to leave labor because of Corbin. Uh, mm, why no one the takes Semitism. them seriously? Because like, you wind up getting like, yeah, the the those wacky leftists are so they're so uh, anti-Semitic and also they uh, believe women when they talk about sexual assault. And you're like, what? But that that one that one's good. And they're like, yeah, and they oh, they don't understand the Muslim scourge. And it's like, holy shit, that's racist. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, they just, yeah, they don't get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, white genocide's going to happen. And uh, yeah, it's, there's, I've got so many bookmarks in this in this book on pages of just horrifically uh, classist, oh, the classism in it as well. There's, there's some brilliant classism in this oh of
1: course yeah 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 so, why why um, wouldn't there
0: be yeah so obviously miranda and charlie are very middle class and the, the cliche about literary fiction being about middle class white people talking about problems is absolutely true here it it's very rarely true in the real world but it's 100 percent true of this but there's also a shit robot uh who's like beep boop oh my circuits through most of this. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe over exaggerate. He he basically just is is talks like and is data from Star Trek. He it's just data from Star Trek is like around while some two middle class white British people talking about their feelings. But there's also a bit where um Charlie is in the isn't is walking in the park and he sees a working class couple uh smacking their infants um Son, because their son is crying, and Charlie, being a, a good a good man, walks up and tells him to stop it. And the the, the couple say, "Well, if you if you um, are the expert on parenting, why don't you just adopt him then?" And it turns out that eventually he does. He takes away the child of a couple who it's established have like uh, drug and mental illness problems. And they're wor- they're they're like they're written. I wish I could pull up the page it's in here somewhere, but they're written like, "Oh, you wish Woody sin." They're written a upper middle class white person's like terrifying fear of the working class. And I don't know if this is the same in the US, but there's like a really strong trope about working class British people hitting their kids in public in Britain.
1: Yeah yeah there is here too it's the whole like yeah the the white trash thing yeah it's where, yeah, it's,
0: it's a it's a white trash shame thing
1: yeah. where it's like those people exist certainly but the benefit of them compared to rich people is rich people just hit their kids behind closed doors and uh psychologically abuse them by like it's hard to look at someone like donald trump and not feel uh the wave of like your racist-ass shithole dad uh, drilled into your brain that you have to be a horrible fucking person or you'll be a disappointment to the family.
0: Yeah, like, he never stood a chance of being a decent person. But this, yeah, he... You know, that kid getting, getting smacked around in, like, the little parking lot in the, on a Sunday morning probably will grow up to be maybe, either bad or maybe okay, but at least he has a shot. But, um, yeah, and yeah, rich people, you know, they do stuff like, uh, I don't know, what's his name, um in uh the guy with a plane <laughs> the guy the guy with the rape plane uh, uh the guy, in an guy with and an island uh it, it escapes me he, he's um the guy... is the guy it
1: with... sad that the first thing i thought of when you said the guy with the plane i was like oh that's uh osama bin laden yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay
0: yeah it is sad um
1: I'm, a, I'm american so that's the guy with the plane to me that and howard hughes those are the two people
0: <laughs> yeah it a guy, uh, a rich uh, hedge fund guy who used to fly people like Donald Trump and Bill Clinton and a bunch of celebrities out to his private island so they could have uh, sex with underage girls range of about 12 to 16. Uh, uh, and yeah, I know the was guy you're like talking a, about. Like five minutes of community service for that. And um, yeah, that, that's rich folks when they want to hurt kids. But yeah, it, it's like it's like uh, it's like drugs, you know, like uh, a. A poor person will be caught dealing drugs on a street corner. A rich person will never be caught because they deal drugs in boardrooms. Yeah. Uh, But, uh, yeah. So uh, Miranda and Charlie adopt this poor, benighted Dickensian orphan from his uh, terrible parents and raise him as their own. And um,
1: does he gratefully oi as he's being adopted?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oi, 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 (laughs) oi.
0: He says, uh, football in lager, yeah? Mate in it. Yeah,
2: cool, me cool, blimey.
0: That Yeah, that's how they all talk. And uh, yeah, so there's classism. There's rape denial. There's anti-Muslim stuff. There's anti-Corbin stuff. There's shitty sci-fi that doesn't work and doesn't really need to be here for what he really, the book he really wants to write, which is apparently setting Britain to rights which is what these guys always want to write, is what the last, like, Brett Easton Ellis uh, non book about the snowflakes and the SJWs is about. It's like, I mean, and it's,
1: it's ironic that for these people who talk constantly about how tediously moralizing the left is, um, ironically missing the actual tedious moralizing that the left does, which
0: thank God they actually
1: seem to be completely uninterested in actually talking about those moments
0: Um, if if, like one of these people actually like spent some time around the left and had like open eyes and ears and actually were willing to learn they would find a lot of stuff to laugh at you know we laugh at the left all the time for various stuff yeah you can't really be a
1: leftist and not laugh at it like that's part of the that's the majority of it you know yeah like... Everyone trying as hard as they can and sometimes doing so in a way that is objectively kind of goofy. Like, you, you get where they're coming from, but you're like, okay, maybe it's we'll roll it back. It's a little. Um, but if for as much as they complain about the tedious moralizing of the left, they literally are exclusively interested in tedious moralizing. That's the only thing they find interesting.
0: Oh, yeah. It's there's long, long discussions on ethics and morality and whether machines can truly be ethical. Here, uh, yeah, he's primarily concerned with with ethics, but ethics as they relate to aesthetics, as in it doesn't it's it's a bad look for uh, parents to be hitting their kids in a supermarket on a Sunday morning, and uh, it doesn't feel good to him for false rape allegations because you know probably he's got a bit of Me Too stuff in his past if he's been around and famous for this long. Uh, Yeah, it's all a bad look. And it it doesn't, it's not, it's not cool. Like uh, Brett Eastoners talks about, when he talks about uh, people's reaction to, uh, say, Donald Trump or whatever. It doesn't strike him as cool and proper. But um, yeah, this is 280-something pages of just tedious moralizing about like some very minor stuff going on in Britain in 2019. That's probably all going to be forgotten in a few years anyway. Uh, by which I mean the Corbyn stuff. Obviously, the the rape and racism and stuff is you know, yeah is going to be relevant. And but um, hopefully the the way uh, the right talk about it right now, as in emphasizing the tiny amount of false rape allegations and talking about honor killing in Muslim communities, you know, hopefully that will all be gone pretty soon, and this will look even more relevant than it already does, which is very. Like, yeah, it's, um, and sure, it's, it's okay written. It's, it's not beautiful. It's not, um, like, I haven't read much of Imekyu and stuff, but I remember Saturday being really, really well written, even though that had the same kind of classist, moralizing aesthetic message. Um, and, you know, he's. The other people of the Blitcons, like Martin Amis, is a brilliant writer. Salman Rushdie has his moments. But, um, yeah, this this is serviceably written. There's no bad lines in it. There's even a sex scene that's not, like, truly awful. But, um, yeah, then he starts talking about something. Instead of talking about the the play of the light on the window pane. he starts talking about a political rally or... Uh, literally anything that has real-world significance beyond just, like, what stuff looks like and how stuff feels. That's, Which is, uh...
1: it. it's very ironic that he would do that considering that he was one of the, um, again, along with Mark, Martin and me, uh one of the people who really pushed the notion in, uh, in the 80s and the 90s that literary fiction is at its absolute best when it doesn't try to focus on telling you things to think, but instead focuses on uh, portraiture Mm. and just demonstrate the world and allow it to resonate inside of people. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, that can be a beautiful thing. And it doesn't need to be it doesn't need the uh, at times tenuous and tedious self-justification of and it's also the the, like the primary criticism um, or let me rephrase that. The primary criticism of people who read adult uh, literary fiction books of young adult fiction books rephrased so that way it doesn't sound like it's said by a shithead is that there will inevitably at some point be a part in a young young adult fiction book where they tell you part of how they wish you to conceive of the world. And that's partly because you're you're aiming it at a certain audience like that's not good or bad. It's just sort of a, a thing. But um, the the beauty of good literary fiction is it will just be this you know uh, brilliant portraiture that you know generates a feeling inside of you and then uh, yeah he's completely forgotten how to do that
0: yeah totally like it's so obvious what he wants you to think and feel even even down to individual plot devices like there's a Chekhov's gun in this. You're told very early on that the robot has a kill switch on the back of his neck, and it 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 goes off in the third act. It's, yeah, it, there's just massive amounts of lazy writing, uh, totally didactic passages that go on forever, world-building of this alternative 1980s that is completely pointless, totally extraneous to the plot, uh, often, like, laughable in its, like, for some reason on one page he talks about all the books that Charlie read in college and they're all uh, books that exist in the real world but with slightly changed names like Catch 18 instead of 22. Because it's alternate universe, everything's slightly different and yeah, it's just yeah, endless, tedious old man in a pub talking about how the snowflakes are too easily triggered nowadays. It's, uh yeah. You, you hate to see it and it's it's bad it's bad folks and i don't want to read i don't want to talk about it anymore because it's it's just bad it's just a bad bad book by someone who's probably going to get uh me tooed into oblivion any day now yeah Hopefully it feels when this comes out and people realize what he's talking about in this book and someone remembers a party they were at with him in 1982 or something
1: And guaranteed that uh, it's also it's also worth noting to uh, to people, um, which will not be a surprise to to most of them, that the demands for how to respond properly to a Me Too type uh, event to someone aren't really all that great. You know, it's you express sincere contrition. You accept that maybe you're not going to be accepted back into certain spaces and, you know, a certain amount of grace that comes with the acknowledgment of wrongdoing that one is done. And uh, I bring this up because Ian McEwen will absolutely fail this easy as fuck uh, moral test.
0: Mm, oh yeah, He's
1: he's going to throw he, shit he, fit if it happens.
0: Yeah. And even if it doesn't happen to him, it will happen to someone around him. And he'll have an, a reaction, kind of like Brett East analysis, where he'll probably want to write a, a, a column or a book about it. And it will be terrible. And I'll hate it i won't read it so there we go so yeah that's ian McEwan's machines like me don't read it it's quite bad it's not even a good looking book it's very ugly it's one of the most lazy designed books i've ever seen there's just a picture of like a mannequin it says ian McEwen and machines like me in uh the same uh font that all books are now obligatory have to be written in it yeah so yeah don't bother with it folks it's not good in really any way. So, yeah, we're going to... Next week, we're going to talk about a good book for once. Actually, no, we've, we, this has been the first bad book we've written, we've read in a while, right? Yeah, yeah. Remember, it's, it's also yeah, the
1: first uh, bad book of the year.
0: Wow, shit. We got yeah, all the way to April. April before a bad book. And you, you kind of have to... You kind of have to with ebqn Because, like, I, I'm... There's yeah. a bunch of others that are coming out later this year that are other kind of have tos. Like, there's a new Handmaid's Tale book that's coming out.
1: Wait, wait, there's what?
0: Yeah, there's a sequel, The Handmaid's Tale.
1: Wh- wh- what?
0: What? <laughs> you haven't heard about this? Like, no, literally, in it's coming out. Why in, would she think, make that? Because <laughs> the series has done well HBO, and God um, damn it. and and hashtag resistance, and uh, hashtag uh, she uh, Hillary um okay so in there's this really great the biggest bookstore in manchester is by right by my office and i walk past her every day to go get lunch and it's already got a window display for the Handmaid's tale 2 which is coming out in november so um yeah pe- people are stoked on this one and what I'm what have the fuck
1: it. happened to margaret atwood or rather what am i like just now realizing has always been the case of margaret atwood i guess that would be a better way to put it like
0: she's a decent writer.
1: She is a decent writer. And so,
0: like, Oryx and Crake books were decent. Um, yeah, those the books Blind are Assassins, really solid. Decent.
1: The, uh, the third Oryx and Crake book made me, like, uh, ugly cry. Uh, because it was, like, psychologically difficult to read. <laughs> yeah. It was and like, I felt really now, bad reading
0: it. Yeah, um, so, but, um, yeah, she's doing Handmaid's Tale too. Gotta, gotta get some of that cheddar, you know. The, I, the series has done really well.
1: Well, she also has become uh, – well, either become or I realized that she is
0: very turfy. Really? I did not know that about her.
1: Yeah, she uh, uh, she very much is um, – she shows her age with when she came into feminism, where it's weird. Even even a figure like Gloria Steinem, who you'd think would be really hung up on some second wave stuff, considering she was a major figure in it, has imperfectly um, – started to respond to criticism like shit but at least in the sense of like okay yeah no ideas move forward and i maybe didn't have all of the ideas writing in the 60s maybe there were yet more thoughts that i hadn't yet had yeah. and margaret atwood's like no they're not women it's like what <laughs> yeah. what like they, they will never have womb oppression
0: <laughs> gotta have that womb oppression
1: and i'm I like heard. what what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, have you been driven insane?
0: Yeah, and, and now she's gonna, like, aim for the, the like, hashtag resistance My mums market. Uh, Do you, with...
1: you lived in Britain, but you didn't... I, you almost certainly saw it, but I'm about to just briefly rant about how fucking embarrassing it was when the rapist-ass, gross, like... And beyond being personally a rapist, also politically fucking disgusting human being of uh, Brett Kavanaugh, who, by the way, fuck you, GMU. They're my uh, alma mater. Uh, They just invited Kavanaugh recently to become a professor emeritus at uh, the law school at the campus I even went to. It's not even which uh, strong solidarity to all the student activists still there that are. Uh, continuously protesting this, it's absolute bullshit. Fuck that guy. It's the mm-hmm. law school they named after Scalia too, because it's oh, Jesus. You know, yeah. Half of our school is funded basically by the Koch brothers. Uh, oh, yeah, funding it. a funding a hyper libertarian economics department called the Mercatus Institute, which at very vari- at various points, yeah, they're stationed at GMU. At various points, they have assigned um, Atlas Shrugged as required reading for econ classes. <laughs> <laughs> which yep. is like Brilliant. like if if you or i were to write that in a book or fuck read that in a book it would read like really bad like yeah like two on like, the like liberally uh kind of shit like it wouldn't even read as like a leftist it would read like the kind of things some kind of like liberal dipshit would yeah, write like, down um, and
0: then late night tv level satire yeah it's and like then no, no kind of level
1: and it's like no no that's real um but on top of that, uh, yeah, we had uh, protesters pro- uh, protesting his hearing by just dressing up as members of, uh, of uh, Handmaids from The Handmaid's Tale and standing mm-hmm. ominously above him as he walked into a – it's, it's things like that that make me go, like, there are a lot of people who want a really self-congratulatory kind of protest – but don't want anything to be effective whatsoever. Like, I hate to sound like a like a prag prog to resurrect some old some old lefty terms. Um, But at some point, it's like, are you protesting so that you can say you protested? Or are you protesting to actually stop this guy from becoming a Supreme Court justice?
0: Yeah, because guaranteed he knows nothing about has never heard of the Handmaid style. He just thinks you're dressed weird.
1: Also, even if he did, I, again, it's sort of like the protest that requires them to understand your humanity. If he understood your humanity, he wouldn't support half the shit that he did. He knows you hate him. Like, that's not news. He's not like, I thought they liked me. Like, ah, ah it drives me fucking crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah he, yeah, he knows you hate him. He hates you too. Like, that's uh, why he's doing it. He doesn't like you. He, he finds it fun to hurt you in various ways.
1: But, well, I'm excited to read that book and go completely insane.
0: Yeah, that, that could be the one that pushes us both over the edge. And all podcasts from then on will just be screaming.
1: <laughs> you know, we've we've needed kind of like a big stylistic change, you know, because we're in a new season. You know, I don't feel comfortable bracketing our, our show particularly into uh delineated seasons but if we were we'd be in like a season three you know we could we could have a, a mid-season change up yeah the big Isn't... arc is yeah. us regaining our sanity guests come on and try to solace us and we we're just screaming
0: yeah and we could do a time jump so it's four to like 10 years and i can have an eye patch
1: yeah and awesome. i can have two eye patches
0: <laughs> that's just glasses um <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, that's coming up. Stick around for that. But uh, first, I'm going to play a band, another band from Canada. So yeah, these guys are from Toronto, though, and they're not really a metal band. Uh, I don't know that's fine. They're they're heavier and more gross than most metal bands, and the vocalist like goes there more than most metal bands. Uh, they're called Dilly Dally or Catholics. Ooh, I haven't,
1: I haven't heard of them at all.
0: They're good um yeah so they're kind of kind of indie pop noise rock they're, they're noise they're if they produce them differently they'd be an indie pop band but as the way they are and the way the singer sings they're a noise rock band um
1: definitely can fuck with that
0: yeah and in this song uh i don't know why but they're talking about like ferraris and bugattis and being around in the six i toronto and uh so you know well because well,
1: as I say it's it's twenty nineteen you gotta you gotta everyone likes rap now I yeah. mean that's it's because it's great um
0: exactly so yeah, so yeah this is dilly dally with the their new single know yourself uh they're gonna probably release an album soon they're really fucking good I really wish more people had, had seen that but um yeah, and they're more metal than most of metal bands and if you want definitive proof of that they've got a song called marijuana that's way more stoner than any stoner rock band even electric wizard even early black sabbath it, even anything doesn't matter what it is they're even even high on fire i went there
1: they literally can't be more stoner than than sleep though
0: that's no it's no about stoner than sleep that's, that's yeah that's yeah that's
1: that's that's actually like the upper limit
0: <laughs> yeah. and, and speaking of sleep and just to just cap off the episode uh many many shout outs to everyone who went to roadburn festival um i was lucky enough to talk to um vic from vile creature and becky for who actually organizes a roadburn festival on this show like last year end of last year uh roadburn festival this year was absolutely fucking killer i didn't go because i suck and i you know got no money so i can't go to denmark on a whim but it had, like, Dow playing Misfits covers in a skate park. It had Vile Creature with Meredith Graves, a Perfect Pussy, friend of the show, uh, doing a set together. It had Sleep performing, I think, all their albums, just chronologically. Yeah. It just was over the, their albums.
1: Over the course of, uh, like, each day they do a set of a new album. Yeah, Roadburn for the past, like, five years has been just, like, a metal fan's and metal and heavy rock too like a much broader than that just like a wet dream of like what's some shit that you'd like literally dream of seeing yeah let's get that like what's some dumb like oh it would be a like thou doing misfits things that's like a gimmick show but it's a gimmick show that you'd be like yeah i can fuck with that like don't make it a common thing but they're like yeah yeah let's do it yeah fuck it we're thou. we're we're a band of the people. We'll
0: do it. And they played like five sets anyway. So if you don't want to see them play Misfits, you've got like, they're doing acoustic cu- uh, version of one of their albums. They're doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, Link Ignata apparently played an absolutely uh, ball-breakingly intense set, as yours does. And yeah. it was amazing, apparently. Um, forthcoming guest on the show, uh, Sean McTiernan was there. And I will be like squeezing him for reactions to it. But yeah, go, go on YouTube and look up some of those sets because they're all amazing. Roburn's amazing. Next year, Garen fucking teed, no matter what, even if I have to stow away on a, on a fishing boat to Denmark. I'm going to go there and report live. Maybe even get a camera. Do some, do some vlogging, video. That's, that's the seasoned free shit. I go down there with my eye patch. Langley with both his <laughs> eye patches, wandering around, walking his stuff.
1: I'd be I'd be holding Gareth's hand because I would then be <laughs> blind. <laughs> yeah. And other blind people would be like, We have assistive technology that you can and I'm like, I, I don't I don't know what yeah. that means.
0: And I'm not blind, so it's not my face <laughs> to use it. Yeah, it'd be wrong for me to use any like guide dog, right? Blind people need that. I, I am. This is my choice.
1: I'm just wearing two eye patches.
0: <laughs> yeah, just to, just to one up someone who is wearing one eye patch.
2: Yeah, I'm so, twice as blind.
0: So yeah, hopefully we could go to Roadburn next year, but um, that depends on you, you folks on the Patreon, You're getting onto the Patreon, giving us lots of money, so we could go and do really dumb stuff at Roadburn. and we try to
1: we try to make that up to you like uh, I'm I'm really proud so far of all of our uh Patreon episodes like there are times where I'm where we'll be talking privately and I'm like I think our Patreon discussion is better than our and it's like yeah I know but we can't well we actually have to put good things on the Patreon it's not it's shit if you just put garbage on there I'm like yeah but it's uh." like recently we had a chat with Sarah Horrocks which was just an incredible conversation um the uh, the episode with Rax King was initially a uh, a Patreon episode, and that was fucking incredible.
0: Mm, yeah, and we're going to do a Patreon episode real soon about Seven Soldiers, P- possibly my favorite comic book. I-, I reread it the other day and was like, "Holy shit, this is actually one of the greatest books ever written."
1: Yeah, I have a lot of strong positive feelings for it as well. We'll we'll get into it on on uh, the episode about that, but.
0: Yeah, if you, if you want to see us more Grant Morrison fan wank, then, yeah, Patreon's for you. So, um, but first, here's Dilly Dally with know, know Yourself. It's going to be off one of albums. They're fucking good. Here's Dilly Dally.